Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. Holy One, may I speak your word faithfully in the name of the Holy Three in One. Amen. Deadlines. They are stressful. Just ask any journalist or newscaster. Just think of those countless deadlines during school, of projects due, of essays to hand in, the all-nighters and urgent trips to the library or the frantic Google searches to cram in as much possible information in some semblance of coherence that would all be pushed and panicked into place to meet the due date without penalty. And as the time runs out, the urgency and production ramps up, conversations are clipped, and emotions are frayed. Or perhaps it's a work project with several players involved, pulling together from their various departments to put the long three-year project into completion so that the investors and stakeholders are satisfied and the final product is not only completed on time, but done so with a standard of excellence within budget and no corners cut, and according to all the proposed specs and promised features outlined in the proposal that secured and managed all the funding. The urgency and stress to have it completed on time, the overtime, the countless cups of coffee, the last minute changes, the late nights and strained relationships. It pressures, it cooks. Dinner service is at six the grand opening of a new restaurant, a high-end restaurant, and the mood in the kitchen at 5 p.m. is beginning to get strangely hushed. It's been a rather good afternoon, pretty calm, really, but now, well, now movements are fast, heads are down, each person focused at their station, a growing desperate efficiency and thick tension hangs in the air. Words are strained as the time ticks on with the dinner deadline looming, the chef barking out orders, and the team in the kitchen realizing that they have to step it up. The food is nowhere near ready, and it's unlikely that it will be in time for the time frame left. The stress is sizzling and the push is on. When time is running out, when a deadline is approaching, of course the normal human response is one of stress, is sometimes panic. Emotions run high. Words become either eerily quiet or are shouted, shrill, and intense. Urgency rules the day. And even the most calm of individuals, the most gentle, loving, and gracious,
can be in these circumstances ill-tempered, strident, and impatient. Deadlines, they make us all a wee bit desperate, and they challenge our chill, as my children might say. Jesus was facing a deadline, literally. His face was set toward Jerusalem, as we heard back in chapter 9 in the Luke narrative, and from then on in the unfolding of the story, Jesus is changed. He was heading toward facing into the accomplishment of God's missional agenda, as Richard Carlson names it, an agenda made real in his living and made complete in his dying and his rising. All there in Jerusalem, the deadline of his human ministry. And of course, this deadline ramped up the urgency of his work, of his teaching, of his ministry, his message, of this ushering in of the new order that God had begun in him, as he makes his way toward Jerusalem, towards his death, which he chooses, his work and his message take on a valiance and a significance in light of what he knows is coming. Knowing your ending makes your now so much more. Knowing your ending makes this present moment more urgent. Now, does this excuse his shrill and harsh words conveyed in this morning's gospel text? No. But it does give us some context as we wrestle with our discomfort and the wish that this passage didn't show up in the Bible, as we wish that it was rather not included in our lectionary cycle of readings on Sunday mornings, as we wish and wonder why in heaven's name did the preacher choose this passage out of the four possible selections of holy texts. They are uncomfortable words. And we Anglicans, well, we like our comfortable words. Uncomfortable words coming from Jesus, well, let's be honest, it's awkward. It's hard, it's difficult, it's disruptive. And none of us like the witness of rude or bad behavior, of harsh tones. And when we avoid, what we are really avoiding is seeing Jesus as truly human and fully human. We don't like to see Jesus behaving differently than we have imagined him. We are uncomfortable with Jesus talking about division, conflict, seemingly attacking family values, calling people hypocrites and phonies. Truthfully, we don't like how Jesus is speaking here in this text because it makes us uncomfortable. And if this is uncomfortable for you, go home and read the preceding text in Luke's because it's even more harsh and more difficult. 
Jesus is just too confrontational here, too harsh, too hard. This is not the Prince of Peace and the gentle Jesus, clever, kind, and sugar-sweet. But if we suspend or set aside with courage our need to keep Jesus in a safe, two-dimensional memory book, what if we were to engage and delve deeply into this complicated, multifaceted, multidimensional Son of God who is fully human and fully divine, who when faced with his time to be accomplished, spoke as often is the case when deadlines are threatening, spoke truth. And although difficult to hear, his truths point to a new and more glorious way. Words of truth as the prophet Jeremiah speaks, words like fire, words like a hammer that can break a rock. So let's put our oven mitts on, let's put our safety glasses on, and let us link arms together, and let us delve in and hear what the Spirit is saying. Let us hear the good news that will disrupt and disturb us this morning, what it is that this fiery, disruptive, life-changing word that Jesus has for us today. As his time is running out, and his desire to share the vision of God's new way ramps up, the words attributed to Jesus in this segment reveal the theme of this new way coming into the world through him. In the same manner that Mary's Magnificat proclaimed social turnaround where the poor are lifted up and the rich sent empty away, and also revealed throughout how Jesus is depicted in the Gospel of Luke, associating with those outside the social construct of acceptable, spending time and loving and forgiving sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, bleeding women, breaking laws by healing on the Sabbath and dancing on the edge of the social norms, infuriating religious authorities. Change is brewing throughout the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and it all points to Jerusalem and what will be accomplished there. In this morning's pericope, Jesus names that his baptism is to be completed with fire and says outrightly, do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, not peace, but division. So the one proclaimed by the angels to be the Prince of Peace is speaking here as one who is going to divide and disrupt. The very social construct of what kept first century Palestine, Judaism, and Rome together, the building block, is the family. One household will be divided, Jesus says, three against two and two against three, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. And the household is the primary building block for society, and Jesus is saying here that his presence, the work of God, the work that God is doing through him, is not an affirmation of the current social status quo but rather 
is a cause for division, change, and disruption of the social construct. To quote Richard Carlson, the social status quo here is obliterated. Strong words. Change is coming. Relationships will be different. Jesus hits home here. Jesus literally hits home. My presence in your life will require decisions to be made that will bring difference, division, radical change in the core relationships you have and in the society as it is presently configured. Jesus is shattering our complacency and reminding us that when we use him for our bolstering up of the status quo, he reminds us that he came into the world to turn the world upside down, bringing life out of death, wholeness out of brokenness, inclusion to those who are rejected and forgotten. Following Jesus, being a disciple, living in this way God has brought into the world through him, requires loving and believing that God does go beyond the status quo, insists on engagement with those who are not like us, the Samaritan, women, the unclean, or perhaps in our present context, the Muslim, the non-binary person, the addict who shoots up outside the Brinton vestry window right here at the cathedral. This kind of convicted faith, this kind of following, living that truly changes you to be merciful, expansive, to live forgiveness, to live without walls or exclusion, requires a choice that transforms and realigns all relationship. And it will cause division. Hear the words of the biblical scholar Richard Carlson, who says, the harsh, the harsh sayings and indictments resounding in this text remind us that Jesus has not come to validate the social realities and values that we have constructed. Social realities and values often have a propensity to seek a harmony that favors those who hold positions of power at the expense of those who are powerless and expendable. Jesus' missional agenda of compassion, mercy, and justice shatters such a status quo. This is the missional agenda that compels him toward his divine destiny to be accomplished in his death and resurrection. It is the agenda that will result in division and contention on all levels of society as people are either embraced or repelled by what God is doing through Jesus. It is the agenda that we are called to recognize in the present in anticipation of God's glorious future. It is the agenda that causes us to reinterpret what God is truly about in this person of Jesus, and so to reinterpret who we are and what we are about as Jesus' disciples." End quote. Living the way, truly living the way of Jesus, this missional agenda that challenged the social and religious orders of the day, 
by not rejecting the law, but by rather freeing it and reframing it so that it could do what it was originally intended, transform and give and protect life. This kind of change when chosen, well, folks, it means we are not going to be popular. We will not be well-liked. It will cause division. When truth is spoken to power and when social constructs are reimagined, when religious institutions are broken open to let others in rather than continually barricading them out, well, this disturbs the peace. This is the kind of change that Jesus is ushering in. When chosen, when we lose ourselves in following this way so that we may be found, when we are willing to love and live as Jesus loves and died and lives, well, folks, we won't get along with everyone. Division, conflict, misunderstanding, annoyance will happen, and peace will be won the hard way, but it will be found. Peace comes. All of this leads to the words, the gifts, the reality of the risen one whose first words after death and his return are peace be with you. Not an easy peace, a costly peace. God sent Jesus to break open the world in order for it to be saved. So when complacency creeps in, and it does, when indifference shrouds our heart and we just say, meh. When we are afraid or find it a bit too comfortable in this faith that has been bought for us with such a price, perhaps this harsh naming of hypocrisy used by Jesus is meant for us. Maybe we are the hypocrites. Or when the church and we in it become complacent, when the gospel is lived in a puny, safe way without sacrifice, when relationships are simply a surface veneer and lack the gritty challenge of life-giving depth, of reconciliation and healing, when life is lived at a lower case rather than at upper case, then these strident, urgent, accusatory, shocking words of our Savior need to be heard and heeded. Hey, you phonies. Hey, you hypocrites. Hey, you actors. See the signs around you and read them. Wake up. Stop pretending. Stop faking it. Live this. The way to eternal life, fullness of life, means something dies in order that it may live. The very core units of security and familiarity will be shaken, transformed, divided, and changed. The way, the truth, the life disturbs. Staying true, embracing, and living this radical love that Jesus offers, this dying to live, well, the path will be rough, personal relationships will be tested, religious institutions and authorities will be challenged and changed. The faith is risky, and it is well worth the risk. We are not alone.
we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And we listen deeply to the invitation to be renewed and transformed by this Jesus. Let us pray. God, give us courage in our faith as your people and your church, that we may live passionately as Christ lived and share in the holy work of transformation, salvation, mercy, and grace. Awaken in us the ability to see and to live in the fullness of life you have given us in Christ. Assure us that we are not alone in this ministry and faith. Help us to let go of what hinders this journey. Set us on fire and renew us in your holy work and your holy way. Help us to be like Jesus. Amen. <laughs>